How's everyone doing? Good morning. Nice, sunshiny day. We get a lot of them here in North Carolina. We need rain. Um, yeah, so we could, we could use that, but it's a good day. Um, I think it's appropriate just to acknowledge um, what happened this week. You know, at Grace Covenant, we have a very, uh, uh, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, yeah, all of that. <laughs> um, there's a word, and I, it just lost me. Anyways, um, as far as uh, regarding life, and uh, so the decision that came down this week is one we celebrate. Um, let, me, let me also just say this as, as your pastor. Um, this doesn't settle anything. And what, what, what that means is it's not a called arms type of thing. It's more realizing we live in a country that is so divided this decision doesn't resolve, like, okay, now we're all going to be at peace. It, the angst is, is continues. Um, and I, I also know uh, that there are many people who love Jesus who are on the other side of that decision. Um, and I don't necessarily follow that line of thought, but we've got to start fighting and start uh, being more gracious to people and... Uh, I realize that doesn't come easily in these days because the emotions are so deeply felt. And they're so, um, it's just such a powerful thing. And so we, we've, uh, while again, I don't apologize for feeling good about the decision, I do worry about us as a country, the path we're on, because it's not, uh, it's not a good one. And uh, we've got to stop fighting each other and stop... Um, being gracious to one another. So um, with that, um, let's just move on into uh, kind of what we're, we're going to talk about here this morning. Um, so if you uh, happen, uh, how do I transition from that into a sermon? So uh, kind of, yeah. Can we say a prayer? Thank you. That, that actually would be very good. Uh, would, you, would you be willing to do that? <laughs> it's not a bad thy kingdom come Amen. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> you can obviously tell that was unscripted, uh, that whole thing. So, hey, um, if you, now I am transitioning because we, we desperately need to, uh, or we're going to be here forever. Um, if you happen to be come by our house in the evening, it's not uncommon you'll find us, me sitting, I have my chair, Betsy has her spot on the sofa, she sits, and, you know, we're doing stuff together, you know, reading, you know, do, reading on the, you know, doing stuff on our iPad or whatever, and now, what's interesting is every now and then, uh, Betsy will make a comment, she's talking, um, uh, you know, like if she's on, maybe looking, you know, flipping through Facebook and sees that someone had a, a baby and they're like, oh, what a, you know, there's, it's those kinds of comments. Or um, recently it's, you know, going through to see what, you know, baby clothes might be, uh, 
uh, available for grandkids and stuff. And it's like, oh, that looks great. Oh, this would be great for them. And so, but the comments are usually general in nature, okay? Um, there, there's often, you know, really she's ta- just talking to herself is, is what's, uh, what's happening. So um, every now and then, however, she says something and expects a response from me. So what do you think happens? Well, of course, I immediately respond because I am so tuned into her. <laughs> yeah, she wishes. <laughs> she wishes that were true. Typically, we end up having a conversation. Um, and a part of that conversation is uh, about uh, me needing to pay better attention to her. Okay? <laughs> Um, and not ignoring her. Ignoring Betsy is not an option, um, nor should it be. And so I, I, I'm not f- disagreeing with that. But the second part of that conversation is that she needs to let me know that she's actually wanting a response. I need a heads up, um, just in the midst of, of uh, you know, just in the midst of other things that we might be doing at that point in time. So my point in, in sharing this is that, just to point out the fact that communication doesn't happen by accident. Communication doesn't happen if only one person is engaged. Both people have to participate. And both people have to both listen and both speak. If one person's talking and the other person's not listening, there's no communication happening. They're just talking to themselves. And if one person does all the talking and one person does all the listening, that's a lecture. It's not communication. Both people need to be engaged, they both need to talk, and they both need to listen. Well, I would suggest that the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. And at Grace Covenant, we believe that we can both talk to and hear from God. And at the same time, um, acknowledge that many of us struggle with our communication with God, don't we? I mean, it's not an exact science. Communication usually tends to be more about us talking to God and not very much listening on our part. Now, whether we're like the man who was in the video just a moment ago and he's just not paying attention, or whether it's like me at night with Betsy where the message gets lost amongst the other clutter uh, that's out there in the moment, we often struggle to hear God speaking to us. And that's what we've been talking about here the last few weeks. Today is the last in a four-part series we've entitled, How to Hear from God. Now, um, let me be crystal clear about this. Communicating with God is something each of us should be doing on a daily basis. It isn't just, uh, isn't just specific to the pastor or to spiritual leaders or to some people have status, nor should it be relegated to just one day a week where we're in church and we feel spiritual and and then we go home and everything is back to the way it used to be. And no, it should be a daily thing for each one of us. Now, this series, the focus of the communication has been on our ability to listen. Um, I suspect, suspect that most of us do just fine with our talking part. We have no trouble um, telling God what we're thinking or what we're feeling. And in week one, we talked about this idea that we have to create space, that God doesn't, God's not going to compete. With, uh, with, for our attention. And so if we don't give the time and space, it doesn't happen. We also looked at work in week one that one of the ways that God does speak to us or communicate with us is through his word, the Bible. And then as we read the Bible, even though it was written 
some parts of it over 2,000 years ago, um, some of it actually potentially up to 3,000 years ago, that even though it was a dated book, it's not just a history book. There's something that comes alive within us today as we read it. In the second week, we talked about this idea that God speaks to us through our desires and that it's okay to be who you are and that God made you that way. God made each of us different and God gave us each of us with interests and passions and it's quite possible that God is leading you um, in a direction because he wired you a certain way. Also, in week two, we, we discussed this idea of that God speak to us through doors. We specifically looked at Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, and, and where he was going, and he wasn't sure where to go. And, but then something happened that caused them to connect circumstances in their life into what they believed God was trying to say to them. What was God's intent? And that God will use circumstances to open and close doors for us. And then last week, we, we talked about God speaking to us through dreams and visions, and then also God speaking to us through other people. Sometimes um, we'll be going through life, and someone will say something to us that just is a word of encouragement, or maybe it's a Bible verse, but for us in that moment, it's life-giving because of what we might be going through. What's really cool is when God uses you to do that for someone else. And uh, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute when we get to uh, uh, today's topic. Um, but I have to acknowledge, in all of these things, there's a really high level of subjectivity. I mean, uh, there, take the reading, take about, or just consider this idea of reading from the Bible. I could read a certain verse, and for me, it's mind-blowing. Like, oh my gosh, can you believe this? This is, and it just transforms me and how I think about God and my experience with God and everything. And you read it, and it's like, what's the big deal? You know, it, does, it doesn't have the same effect. You're in a different place in life, different experiences. It means something different to you. And so there's some subjectivity to it. But let me be clear. Subjectivity does not invalidate the experience, nor does it minimize God's role in it. Just because humans might be involved doesn't negate God's involvement as well. It does suggest that we need to develop our ability to discern whether something is from God, and that can only happen if we create space in life to listen to him. So with that in mind, let me just talk in the, the time we have here remaining with the last two ways that God communicates with us. And the first one I want to talk about this morning is that God speaks to us through promptings. <clears throat> A prompting is simply just an internal nudge to do something. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit telling us to move or to act or to speak, to do something. Something really interesting happened in Acts chapter 2. Um, those of you who are familiar with that passage of Scripture, it's the story of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's a great thing. It's the launching of the church um, as we know it today. Um, and it says that, you know, the, so the Holy Spirit's point out, poured out, and we know that they were meeting in a house. It tells us they were, that was the location. It also tells us that because of this, this experience of the Holy Spirit, that there was a commotion. In fact, crowds of people began to draw to the area. Uh, the, the impression we get that it was a pretty chaotic scene. And then in, in verse 14, we read, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, the other apostles. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what it was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And then for the next 24 verses, Peter addressed the crowd and telling them about Jesus and what was happening and what was going on there. And then it says, it's pretty cool, they baptized, and it says that they baptized those who believed. Sometimes we forget the fact that we, just, we get to the next part where it says that, that number, but actually they baptized those, and the number who were baptized was about 3,000. So again, if you're baptizing 3,000 people, that's a pretty large crowd because I'm pretty confident not everyone got baptized, but that's a pretty large crowd what was going on there. So here's my point of interest, why I think this is interesting. Who told Peter to get up and talk? Holy Spirit. Okay. We don't know, do we? I mean, to your point, let me, I'm going to circle back to that because I think you're onto something there. No one said, all right, Peter, you're up. All right, hey, Peter, you do this. And, and some might say, well, you know, you know it's, it's kind of, you know, wasn't Peter the leader? Kind of wasn't he the head? And, and actually, at this point in time, we don't know that. We do know that Peter does emerge as kind of the leader later on. But the last time we hear about Peter, Jesus is trying to pick him up off the, the side of the shore. You know, the whole episode of him denying Christ, knowing he knew him, and and Peter was just, I mean, he was in no condition to lead anything. This is the last time we saw Peter. And now in this moment, we see Peter doing this. Here's what I think. I think Peter was part of an amazing experience with the Holy Spirit. What happened there in that room and the, 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 the filling of the Holy Spirit was just an amazing thing. I think, though, in the midst of that, someone looked outside the window and says, hey, we're starting to draw a crowd. You know, there's people starting to come by, and, and again, we can't, I can't really picture the dynamics here, what's happening, but, but a crowd starting to come together, and I think that there was a prompting in Peter. I think something inside Peter said he should go out there and start talking. <clears throat> the question, for, you know, that we might ask is, well, how did he know it was the Holy Spirit, or how did he know it wasn't just him? The reality is we don't. We don't really know. However, here's the thing I'm, I've kind of landed on. Anytime you're prompted to talk about Jesus, or anytime you're prompted to be nice to someone, or anytime that you're prompted to be generous or to do what's right, it really doesn't matter what the source of that prompting is, is it? I don't think it is. I think it's always a good idea to do good, to do the right thing. Now, of all the ways God speaks to us, this is probably the most common. And by far, it's the, most, it's the easiest to practice because it's usually in the moment. There's no preparation. There's no advanced warning. It's just something you can act on right now. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of rely on promptings by the Holy Spirit a lot. And even some of you have been recipients of some of those promptings. Um, I'll be driving, and there may be someone I haven't talked to or seen in, in years, uh, and they come to my mind, and I take that as a prompting for the Holy Spirit to pray for them. And, and sometimes I'll even get back, when I get back, uh, I get home, whatever, and I'll send them a text message, hey, just know you came to mind tonight, just wonder what I'm praying for, I prayed for you. Or, or maybe there's a specific Bible verse. You know, as this was happening today, this verse came to mind, or I was reading this verse, and you came to mind, and I don't know if it means anything to you, but here, I want to share this with you. And and sometimes the person is just like, hey, thanks, that's great. And other times it's, you see tears start welling up in their eyes when they, because this is a moment for them where they realize, wait, God, because they were feeling abandoned and isolated and alone. And all of a sudden they realize that God actually spoke to someone else to come to them, to affirm them. And it's just a powerful thing. And it's really, really 
really cool uh, when that happens. And the thing about promptings is that God is setting you up for a really cool experience. He really is. He's setting you up for a really cool experience, but you have to act on the prompting. Your action, your obedience to do what you're feeling prompted to do, whether it's praying or serving or giving, might just be somebody else's miracle. God often speaks to us through promptings. <clears throat> In fact, it was what I considered a prompting um, of the Holy Spirit uh, that caused me to sit down and rework most of my sermon at 9.30 last night. <clears throat> Mostly because of this next point, which is our next way that God speaks to us, and that is God speaks to us through pain. Now, another way I think we might want to have captured that is that uh, or I think maybe a better heading might be hearing God in the midst of adversity. <clears throat> our, um, our oldest was three months old. I think, yeah, Samuel was three months old uh, when we packed up our U-Haul uh, truck and we moved from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, over to uh, all the way across west, to the west coast of Southern California where, uh, for me to attend graduate school, attend seminary. And um, <clears throat> I'd planned this so that we, we arrived there. It was something like, I don't know if the exact dates, but it was something, we arrived on a Tuesday, <clears throat> and I had until Friday to return the truck because we, we, we didn't have a place to live. We didn't have housing yet. So basically, I gave myself three days to find an apartment uh, to move into. <clears throat> and um, Friday morning comes, and we still don't have a place to live. And... Um, in my quiet time that morning, I, I, I remember reading Genesis chapter 12. And if you're familiar with that story, it's the story of God calling Abraham. And it says, he says, I want you to go, leave your land, leave what's known to you, leave what's familiar, and go to a land I will show you. He didn't even tell him where he was going. He said, I will show you. You know, get going, and I'll direct you along the way. And then um, what's interesting is we get to verse 8. It says, when Abraham arrived you know, in the land in what would become Israel, it says, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And I remember, I remember as I read that, I felt, you know, I'm feeling kind of like Abraham. You know, we just came across country. We're in a land we didn't know. And, and um, you know, so I said, I'm going to build an altar, uh, except my altar wasn't, you know, one that I could, you know, sacrifice an animal and burn things on it. It was, uh, mine was an altar of praise. And so I spent the rest of my time, that, my quiet time there, just singing songs, worship songs, and, and just being grateful and thanking God for his goodness and his grace uh, in our life. By noon, we found an apartment. And by 5 o'clock, we were moved in. <clears throat> and on top of that, both of us had jobs by the end of that day. It was a really good day. Pretty cool, right? <clears throat> So began the hardest and the most challenging four months of our life. So confusing to us because we knew, we knew that we were where we were supposed to be. We knew that God had opened this door for us and, and that, you know, we, we left family and friends and we came out here to, to prepare for ministry. We were trying to follow God the best way we knew and we, and we were being obedient and we were where we are supposed to be. Yet over the next few months, it just seemed like whatever could go wrong did. It was just, it was, it was a season of life that was just 
honestly, it was from hell. It just was dealing with physical health um, issues that popped up, death of a family member. It even got so ridiculous that the phone company shut off our phone. Remember those days when you had a landline and the phone company could actually do that? But here's what, why it made it so ridiculous. We paid the bill. We mailed it. The check never got there. And we didn't know there was a problem because when they sent us a notice that you're late with the bill, they sent it to the wrong address. So we're both talking to each other and nothing happened. And so there's, it was just like this time and time and just things like that. This continued for four months. I remember um, probably one afternoon, it was probably mid-December by this time, at the end of the fall term, um, you know, we, we hit bottom. And I remember... Um, just essentially holding on to each other and crying out to God, saying, you got to do something. you got to do something. So here's what I know. Here's what I know. Heaven might be a pain-free zone, but between here and there, pain is guaranteed. Difficulty, adversity, things are going to happen. In Romans chapter 5, <clears throat> Paul says something that's pretty crazy. He wrote this in starting verse 3. He says, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but get this, we also boast, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We glory in our sufferings? Like, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? <clears throat> you know, was Paul some kind of masochist? You know, just wants pain and just hurt me more? No. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me answer my own question here. It was a rhetorical question. No, that's not what's happening here at all. Here's the thing. Paul realized that pain and suffering was not the end. Adversity was not the end, but it was a means to an end that culminated in hope. Not just wishful thinking, not wishful thinking, but hope in the sense of expectation. For Paul, pain was a means by which we experienced God's grace to the fullest extent. The process by which God transforms us into the image of Christ. Further on in Romans 8, Paul wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. <clears throat> in the midst of tough times, it can feel like God has turned his back on us, can't it? He's just not there. He's gone. And so what do we do? Well, human nature is our tendency is to also turn away from God. The irony is that that's the very time we should be turning to God and leaning into God. C.S. Lewis, uh, the, the renowned writer, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. Um, Mark Batterson, some of you have read some of his books as a pastor up in the D.C. area. He, wrote, he has a book out called Whisper. Um, so if you want to, uh, um, I just, it was very helpful, I think, in some things. And he made this comment. He said, nothing gets our full attention like pain. It breaks down false idols and purifies false motives. It reveals where we need to heal, where we need to grow. It refocuses priorities like nothing else. 
And pain is part and parcel of God's cleansing process in our lives. Pain and adversity is God's way of transforming us. It empties us of our deep-rooted sin and emptying us so that God can fill us with himself. The problem is that 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 process of emptying is painful. In fact, uh, there's a a monk, St. John of the Cross from the 15th century, uh, this idea of emptying ourselves and just that feeling of isolation from God and feeling like God's not there, he referred to, he coined this term, you may have heard of it, called the dark night of the soul. Going through this season of life where you just feel like, God, it's just nowhere there, I'm all alone. And how do we persevere through that season to the other side? So then, the question I think becomes necessary for us to ask is, how then does one hear God in the midst of pain and adversity? Now, I could use, I literally could use an entire sermon to talk about this, if not another series. But instead of that, a couple thoughts. Batterson also made another comment. He said this, Don't be so focused on getting out of difficult circumstances that you don't get anything out of them. Sometimes the circumstances we're trying to change are the very circumstances God is using to change us. Instead of asking, why is this happening to me, the quest, a better question would be, God, what is it you're wanting to do in me? God, what is it that you're wanting to accomplish in me through this? What is it you want me to learn? Ask what, not why. When we ask why, it's all about us. Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why? And it just, it's just this downward spiral of self-pity. When we ask what, what is God trying to do, the focus becomes, moves, goes from us to God. What is God doing? What is he wanting And all of a sudden, possibilities emerge that give us hope and expectation. I've discovered that greatest revelations of God and sometimes the greatest times of growth have come through significant seasons of pain and adversity. And instead of trying to escape the pain, realize God is at work. And, I'm going to use the word contend, contend. It's the word that means to struggle for. In a season of pain and adversity, we can give in to the guilt, to the fear, anger, or we can contend by praying as though everything depends completely on God and then working as if everything depends on you. But we're not just going to take it. We're going to do something about it. We should contend for our marriages. We should contend for our children. We should contend for health. We should contend for so many different things. We need to believe that the pain we feel now will result in God's glory later. My last um, thought is maintain an altar of praise. You know, a person can go through just about anything if there's light at the end of the tunnel. And for the Christ follower, there always is. There always is. Now, don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Don't allow the pain to keep you from worshiping the God who can not only speak to you through the pain, but see you through the pain. God can speak to us through our pain. 
Now, we're going to end not just this sermon, but actually this series with a song. And we're going to give you an opportunity to create space and to listen to God. And as Julia sings, I encourage you to listen for the voice of God speaking to you and uh, see if he might be wanting to say something.
You know, um, it might sound kind of weird hearing me as your pastor say this, but I don't pray for your life to be pain-free. I pray that you would have the courage to lean into God in your seasons of pain and learn how to hear his voice in the midst of pain. Far more beneficial, far more advantageous to you. Heavenly Father, I do so much thank you for your love and mercy. And Father, if we're really honest, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we're in the midst of season where it feels like you've abandoned us. It feels like you've turned your back on us. Some, Lord, may even feel like you're punishing them for some past. Lord, while I don't believe that's true, I don't believe you, you're that kind of God. At the same time, I, it's also true that your ways are different than our ways. And Lord, we don't always understand. There's things, Father, that we have questions and sometimes it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But God, in the midst of that, may we find you. And Lord, sometimes that's enough where we don't have answers. We don't have any more clarity to the situation or the problem. But Lord, we know we're not alone. We know you're there. We know you love us. And we know that you'll see us through that season of adversity. You'll see us through that pain. Father, for our hope rests not here on earthly things, but our hope rests on an eternity with you. And so, Father, I pray that, uh, again, for any here this morning who might be feeling uh, this pain acutely, Lord, may, in, in a very divine way, feel your power here, even in this moment. May they hear your voice. May they hear you say, I love you. I'm with you. I care so much about you. You're not alone. Father, bring comfort and peace. And Lord, even like Paul, may we come to that place where we can actually find joy in that season. Not joy for it, not joy because of it, but in the midst of it, we find joy in you. We find this sense of peace and we find comfort that we need. So Father, thank you. Thank you for the word. Thank you that you do speak to us, that you're not just a God who's up there watching with an amusement or sadness or whatever emotion you might have based on our behavior, but Lord, that you're you're intimately involved with us. You care that much about us. And Lord, may we in turn acknowledge that relationship by listening and giving you the time to speak to us that we might hear you. So, Father, I pray that as we end this series, that it isn't the end of a series, but it's the beginning of a new life together. Um, It's a new uh, way forward in our love for you, in our relationship with you. May we be a people that hear from you, and not just on Sundays, but on every day of the week. So, Father, again, we thank you. We thank you that you have our best interests in mind. 
And uh, we can trust that. We can trust that. We can trust that. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray all these things. And everybody says, amen. Amen.